This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and I have two guests today. Two, count them two. One is Catherine McGill, who runs 411 Wildlife Solutions, a humane wildlife control company that formerly specialized in resolving raccoon conflicts in and around homes, but has broadened its base to help address a wider array of wildlife matters. My other guest is Kate McFall, Florida State Director for the Humane Society of the United States, a job which, as you might imagine, involves a broad purview of issues, though wildlife issues are of special interest to her. They both bring considerable expertise to the topic we'll be addressing on this week's show, proposed pending changes to Florida's trapping regulations. These potential changes arrive in the wake of a survey about trapping conducted by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, FWC, last December. That's, of course, a time of the year when people tend to be busy and distracted, and the survey might have gone under-noticed and perhaps not filled out by as many who might otherwise want to express their views on trapping. Nonetheless, the survey results have been collected, reviewed, and a report has been generated in proposed language reflecting alterations uh, to the state's trapping regulations is now on the horizon. Some may find these potential changes troubling, apparently allowing leg and foothold traps, body-crushing traps and snares, some other changes are part of the hour core of a part of our conversation today. So we'll discuss all this with McFall and McGill, the proposed new regulations, what we can all do to express our views on it, maybe help shape the language, the final language of these new regulations as that's still pending at the moment. When I speak with Catherine McGill and Kate McFall in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Mallory Sear, references an adult services manager at Safety Harbor Public Library, where tomorrow, July 21st, they're presenting an hour-long program called Gators. Representatives from the Florida Aquarium will offer information about gators, how to coexist with these glorious reptiles, and cover other details. We'll find out more about this presentation a bit later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss those proposed new Florida trapping regulations and all the sort of surrounding information and context for that with Kate McFall and Catherine McGill. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. I'd like to welcome Kate McFall and Catherine McGill to Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. Thanks so much Thank for, having for having me. Let's start just quickly or briefly, I guess I should say, by learning a bit more about our guests here, meaning you guys, than what I just kind of mentioned as a quick aside in the opening of the show. So maybe uh, I can ask you just to briefly expand on your background a little bit and offer a few more specifics about your interests uh, than I mentioned in terms of wildlife issues, et cetera. So let's start with you, Catherine. 
All right. Well, thanks again for having me. Um, Duncan, you may remember I had a booming horse business for about 30 years in your backyard there in Jupiter. And I sold that and kind of walked away from it in 2003. And a young raccoon, baby raccoon, came into my life and completely sent me on a different track. But what sent me into this humane wildlife control aspect of everything was um, when I was selling that business, um, I got into volunteering for rehabilitators and one job that I ended up doing for them was going out to homes and having to cut holes in the ceilings and walls to extract dead or dying babies out of attic and being screamed at by the homeowner that this was costing them all this money and damage, but it was you know their fault that they hired the raccoon. So I wanted to I wanted to create this business and join the Humane Wildlife Control Movement and do things better. Okay, that sounds great. Kate, how about a little bit more about you? Sure. So um, I'm here in Tallahassee, and I work for the Humane Society of the United States and work on all kinds of animal protection issues. And I, I absolutely love it. There's so much happening uh, and that needs to happen in Florida. It's, uh, there's no time to spare, but great. I mean, I, I really enjoy working on wildlife protection and often uh, through uh, working with the FWC, work on legislation. I work on grassroots um, advocacy with great advocates throughout Florida. There are so many animal loving, you know, wildlife appreciating um, good Floridians that care about them. That, that's the best news. But uh, Legislation is challenging. Everyone knows that, getting something passed. Uh, but working, you know, in local policies uh, with advocates and, and some shelters, uh, just great Floridians to work working to protect animals. Well, that sounds great. And it sounds like, yeah, a busy uh, thing to be doing, uh, given the, what all is happening in Florida at any, any given moment. So beyond the way we started there, I just want to invite both of you to jump into any part of the conversation at any point without me saying, calling on one of you or saying your name. Let's fire away as, as anything strikes you. So let's officially start on something kind of at the remedial level. Why do people trap? That's a great question. It's, and it's a very knee-jerk response to believe that removing the animal is going to resolve your conflict. If a raccoon's getting in my trash, then if I remove the raccoon, my problem will go away. But, you know, as we all know, hopefully that when you remove one animal, you create a vacancy and three, five, however many, will try to fill that vacancy because these animals are territorial. So the knee-jerk reaction doesn't resolve the problem. It might be a temporary moment where you've resolved it, but it's going to come back. So, it, you know, that's, that's the current science today that says that 90% of the complaints that people have today are not resolved by removing the animal. But that is the knee-jerk reaction to jump to. Okay, so that sounds like kind of why trapping has flaws or, or doesn't necessarily work in instances where people do apply it. But why do people do it? And what are some of the various reasons, I guess I should say, legitimate and maybe some might suggest otherwise that people do do trapping? I'm just trying to get a little bit of a context before we proceed into some other parts of this conversation. Okay, well... You know, a lot of people, when they think of animal trapping, the first thing they go to is fur trapping, right? You know, the, the guy with the leg hold traps and so forth out on the trap line and fur trapping. And that's not a really big industry in Florida like it like it still is maybe up north. In Florida, the majority, I would say over 80% of our trapping in this state is because of, quote, nuisance issues. So that can be anything from the rancher who has let a trapper or paid a trapper to kill coyotes that he believes is going to help prevent his livestock, um, which we know doesn't really work. Um, and like I said, it could be the person who has a raccoon getting in their trash. It could be eating, coming and eating their pet food. It could be squirrels eating their bird seed, um, you know, something 
chewed up this. They don't even know what. Or And here's the one that is most disturbing is, you know, everybody today and their brother is getting mm-hmm. these ring security doorbell cameras. So at 3 o'clock in the morning, they see an opossum walk by, and they freak out. They didn't even know there were opossums in their neighborhood. So they call the trapper. And too many trappers are allowed to say, hey, you know, I'll set traps in your neighborhood for like two weeks, you know, for this exorbitant price, and I'll get all those animals out of your neighborhood or your community. And there you go. I mean, they're, they're just merely seeing an animal is enough to do it. So it's greater visibility, more frequent visibility by the doorbell things or whatever that people are now relying on trappers with even greater frequency than they previously had? Yeah, definitely. Some, but one other point, though, is, as you know, the people moving to Florida, the number of people moving to Florida and the development is off the chart. Um, and we're, you know, taking their habitat. So more are being seen, and that's why... You know, in our work, we want to educate our neighbors and friends. I mean, you know, walking your dog, you know, talking to your neighbors about, actually, it's great this is a possum because they eat this or that or just to embrace it that, yeah, they live here too, move on. They're, uh, and remove the attractant. If they're coming because, as Catherine said, the trash, well, then put your trash away. I mean, there's so many obvious, well, obvious to us, um, things that, that may bring them, but embrace it. And they're not an intruder. They live here. And with all the development and um, habitat destruction, there's more and more of that happening in addition to the uh, the doorbells that, that Catherine mentioned. So some of it, yeah, I just can say some of it sounds like not only the, the greater frequency of realizing more animals around that you wouldn't have seen if you didn't have that doorbell thing or whatever, but also it sounds like oversimplifying, but it sounds like kind of laziness, like, hey, there's animals here. I can't really spend too much time on this. Let me just get a hold of a trapper and deal with it that way. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you both touched on something that, that I'm constantly preaching about, too, is that, you know, sightings keep going up. You keep hearing this, right? Sightings of mountain lions, sightings of bears, sightings of raccoons keep going up. And, you know, that is for a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, now the agencies have uh, websites and apps on your phone that you can report that. So, yes, it makes it look like there are more sightings. But also, as we keep taking encroaching out into their habitat, these animals, no matter what they are, whether it's a raccoon or bear or things you didn't normally see, they're starting to accept we humans as part of their natural landscape. They don't have a choice, right? So that doesn't mean they're losing fear. It doesn't really mean anything except for, oh, you know, there's Joe. You know, yeah, hi, Joe. Yeah, the bear just keeps moving on. It, seeing humans is not what it used to be to them, but it's a big deal to us, and we're not adapting quite like they are. Okay, that's interesting, a further element to it. So who oversees this or enforces whatever regulations that at least have existed and currently exist for how and when and what kinds of traps people can use? Uh, that would be the Florida Fish and Wildlife, unless you're dealing with rodents, which would be the Department of Agriculture. All wildlife is overseen by Florida Fish and Wildlife, and they have an excellent wildlife conflict department, one of the best I've ever dealt with in the country. Um, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, they're trying to go down the right track here. So that's FWC for people that probably have seen that acronym but didn't know because there's a lot more words. Uh, I've never, the acronym and Sorry. the number of words, no, but it, it, it always doesn't quite match up. And it's like, okay, well, uh, but, but that's the agency that really oversees this and enforces. That's right. Okay. So is there a certain cycle or timetable at which the FWC periodically reassesses trapping regulations? In well, other words, why are we talking now? Why did this survey happen in December, for example? Why are we talking now about it? But I mean, is there a regular pattern to how regulations do get reassessed and see if what changes should be made? Or how does, how does that work? Is it just arbitrary? It, it is a little bit on, arbitrary. On the issue. It, it is, yeah. yes. Um, some, in some programs, they have a set timeline, uh, you know, with a management plan. They might have a reassessment on this uh, in this year. 
But this came up and we're pleased and want to applaud them for considering changes. This uh, wasn't scheduled, like pre-scheduled, but there were, you know, perhaps some, some people brought it up, but they are considering some changes. And that's, that's why we're here and why we're so grateful, um, you know, for, for you having us to um, let the public know that, you know, in the in the months ahead, this is this is critical time for the public to you know, speak up politely because we have we're, we're lucky to have this opportunity. And FWC does do a very good job, really, really good job. And they, um, you know, Florida is the only state where the Wildlife Commission has constitutional authority. So we have a, a with more authority, uh, a more robust, a, a very um, extensive agency as compared to other states. And this is um, this is on the radar. So we're grateful for that. We also want people to speak up so that some you know more humane changes are made. But it's not on an exact schedule. Um, it wasn't like pre-scheduled years ago. Okay. Yes. Yeah, the last time that this uh, typical chapter chapter of trapping regulations was uh, revised or anything was back in 2007, 2008. Um, that that's a 284 page report that came out of the stakeholder. Um, you know, technical advisory group, and what happened there was FWC unfortunately decided that they just weren't going to permit wildlife control operators anymore. So, so ever since then, pretty much anybody can buy a trap and go trap and charge the public to do this. Um, there's no permit at all. And that what the changes that were made in, in 20, 2007, 2008 dictated? Correct. Wow. Okay. So it's interesting to me, just as someone who's nowhere near as steeped as either you guys are in this topic, that it would be this long, 15 years, 14, 15 years before someone would say, hey, maybe we should take a survey. Maybe it's time to kind of reassess our regulations, just given what you just described about what some of those regulations would, would have allowed. Yes, I think there's been some issues, too, with these traps, um, snares and leg hole traps uh, catching endangered species, everything from gopher tortoises to bears, panthers, um, and that you know that causes some, some uh, grief for the agency. And when, when the FWC does do this, and again, I know it was 14, 15 years since the last one, I don't know how long before that, historically do they typically tighten or loosen the regulations when they do reassess? Well, in 2008, I would have to say that they loosened them by not permitting any of these trappers, um, not knowing who's trapping and not knowing who's doing what. I mean, they have absolutely no data collection. So I'd say that's kind of a step backwards. So prior to 2007, 2008, to do some of the trapping that has now been allowed to do go unpermitted, you did have to have a permit to do at least some of that trapping. Is that, am I following this? I, I believe so. I believe that there was a lot more oversight, but honestly, that is right before I got into the industry. I got you. Okay, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guests are Kate McFall, Florida State Director of the Humane Society of the United States, and Catherine McGill, who runs 411 Wildlife Solutions, a humane wildlife control company. We're discussing proposed changes to Florida's trapping regulations, and we're going to get into some of the more specific shortly and some other ways that you may want to weigh in as you hear about some of this. Either way, if you'd like to ask Kate or Catherine a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9673. 663 email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885 i think we do have a caller now let's maybe get them involved hi you're on talking animals with uh kate mcfall and Catherine mcgill hi good is it okay to talk now <laughs> can i talk yeah go ahead so did, maybe, did you have a question or comment for kate no, or well, Catherine? i have a comment so so maybe maybe the people just need a, a really good reference um, that I'm not hearing yet. So maybe they just need a really good reference, and the reference would be like um, Bill Mollison, the permacultural guy. Are you familiar with him, Bill Mollison? 
what to- what topic are you referring to, sir? I'm, I'm probably um, the, you're talking about the animals being trapped. And right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just I thought I wasn't sure if because every yeah, so every so often we get somebody commenting on a show that is airing on a different station. So yeah, thought, that's okay. okay. But, yeah. but I mean, the Bill Malson Permacultural Design Manual. Are you familiar with that at all? I I am not. Maybe maybe our guests are. So so anyway, he's he's almost he's you know he's pretty old now, but he's from Tasmania, and he uh, permaculture is a huge movement. Um, certainly internationally, but in Hawaii. And um, there's plenty of information there that maybe an educated uh, person might want to invest in, and it will cover your topic. So would this help shape the new language of the regulations that are pending at the moment? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, right. the guy, yeah, the guy's, the guy's um, he's the reason that Cuba is 100% organic. He's, he's the reason they, they, they embrace this stuff. And after the Kennedy stuff and... And they're the permaculture capital of the world, and that's where the, that's where the thing was held. So there, it's basically indigenous cultural stuff. It's basically he studied indigenous cultural his whole life. So that's a very important thing your listeners don't know about. It. It's a very yeah. important thing. Okay. Well, that's really cool. I appreciate the call. I'm going to ask. Right I'm going to ask both both our guests to yeah. respond. We're going to keep going, but thank you so much yeah, for your call. Right appreciate right it. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, yeah, Kate, yeah, Kate, and or Catherine, any response? Sorry, yeah, if your caller is referring to, like, agricultural wildlife management, that's a that's a great topic. It's a little bit more in-depth than we have time to get into today. But that that is a big driving force. You know, you, you have the ranchers over there. You have the homeowners over here. Um, I think there's probably a lot more that we need to do with the homeowners. Um, you know, the backyard mm-hmm. trapping, the, the critter control, type, you know, companies and so forth. But his point to agricultural management is definitely something that's interesting. There's all kinds of groups now formed, you know, predator-friendly ranchers and so forth. You just Google those three words and you'll find a lot of resources for managing wildlife with your uh, livestock and so forth. Okay. Kate, anything that you had to uh, add no, to her? Um, no, that, uh, and I think what, what Catherine just touched on is the, the backyard, um, the homeowners, the backyard trappers, what's currently happening now, and that was one of the, the goals and uh, for, you know, I was hoping to, to talk about today, just the, to help your listeners um you know, realize this is happening in your neighborhood, in my neighborhood, all over, that you may not realize, that I know most people don't realize, that this is happening um, currently. And, again, we're grateful to have the opportunity to hopefully craft and, as you said, um, you know, affect some of these uh, changes in the, fu- in the future. If we don't speak up, of course, then we won't. But if we do, and I know folks will, um, we do have a role here, and it's a big one, and it's super important. Okay, well, let's ease our way to that language and some suggestions people can make to maybe help shape that. But I think still just to try to understand some of the core issues. Let's get into a little bit of, because uh, it seems like a lot of this revolves around nuisance, so quote-unquote nuisance wildlife. Right, right. So, uh, um, the de- yeah, our state definition is definitely at the root of a lot of problems. So what, what, what briefly, what is that definition? The definition, which is embedded in the state administrative code, nuisance wildlife refers to an animal or animals exhibiting the following behavior. It's only three sentences. Causes or is about to cause property damage, presents a threat to public safety, or causes an annoyance within under a building. So obviously these are, you know, very highly subjective. Causes property damage. What's property damage? You know, getting in bird seed or, you know, a roof vent? You know, what's, what's this, what feels like a threat to public safety? The fact that you saw a bear on your ring doorbell camera or saw a raccoon in your neighborhood? You know, and an annoyance? I mean, I don't think we should be allowed to be harming and killing our wildlife because somebody felt annoyed today. So just so I'm clear, and, and hopefully 
briefly so maybe help make sure listeners are clear. Nuisance wildlife is very loosely defined. Uh, you just explained, Catherine. This is where then people are enabled or justified, I guess, in using traps then if, if it meets that the, the, any or all those criteria? Yeah, any or all, yes, absolutely. And, and if we're going to talk about modernizing, you know, our trapping regulations, I think it absolutely has to start there and bring bring that definition, you know, in, into today because uh, that, that, just, that just doesn't work for today because anything can be a nuisance. And, 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 and their website is really good about this. If you, if you look at the Conflict Wildlife, Living with Wildlife on their website, it, there is so much good language there. I mean, it's, Are you talking about the FWC wildlife, uh, yeah, website? Sorry, yeah, yeah FWC's okay. website, of, okay. of, and, it, and they're removing nuisance wildlife. It's very clear that removing wildlife, killing or relocating it should be the last resort when all other proactive measures have failed and an animal meets the nuisance criteria, still meets the criteria. But these other methods should be exhausted, and that's what we do with our companies. We, you know, I'm considered a trapper, but we approach things from what caused it, and it's not usually the animal. So with this in mind, and just to make sure we have time to cover some of the most salient parts of this, hopefully, what has happened, as I mentioned at the top of the show, there was a survey conducted in December where people could weigh in on what they thought about the trapping and some of the regulations, or at least the, the then existing ones. And then there have been results, and that's been compiled. So I guess this is the prelude to the language for the, the new regulations, which are still pen, pending, and that's why we still have time to weigh in on those and let yeah. people know how we feel about them. So mm -hmm. to what extent have the new regulations been aired, announced, debated, publicized thus far? Well, uh, they haven't just been in the survey. I mean, not yet. Yeah. So there's still time. Okay. Um, they put some things out in the survey, and there were some good good points that, um, that were very positive. And then, can you give me an example of what, one of the good points, yes, Kate? Um, absolutely. One of them was um, prohibiting the outdoor use of glue traps. So currently, they can be anywhere, indoor, outdoor. So, if in the, in the survey question, one of the survey questions was uh, prohibiting their use outside, just using inside. So that's a positive. And um, corral traps, um, the larger ones that for mostly for pigs, that they would they would not have a, a top, a roof on it, so that deer and bear and other critters can um, get out. Um, so it, it's that's that's an improvement. Things like that. The other really big one was um, checking the traps by um, 11 a.m. You know, shorting the the check time to to check the trap, and so if something so, inadvertently got in there, or, the, or wasn't in the intentional uh, animal to be in there, there'd still be time for them to get released. Is that the idea? Yeah, or if it was the intended animal, but um, not to leave them there, right? Like the where they might be, you know, suffering or whatever in the trap. Definitely, yeah. absolutely, and that yeah. that's our biggest, um, you know, issue is the the suffering, and um, that that's the, the shorter. There was also the possibility of shorting the shortening the time from a 24-hour to 12-hour uh, time, yeah. and that's you know would decrease the suffering. It's still not you know we don't want any animals suffering for 12 hours, right? Uh, of course, but but, but half the time is better if uh, if we're yes, gonna exactly yeah. yeah. But th there there's actually an extra layer to that, and I think it's I think that the reason they're doing this is born from the reason that um, you know imagine a, a trapper has traps you know all set all over you know the county has dozens of them in different you know customers yards and so forth and he goes around and he collects them all and he puts them into their truck i believe that there should be more regulation about there being ventilation in that truck um and the problem then is is that these guys can hold those guys in the traps 
these animals in the traps for days. There's nothing that says they have a limited time before they're required to release them or kill them. So it sounds like some of these proposed things are trying to tighten up things like that. Yeah. And so even though it seems weird in the in the in the guise of talking about trapping, you talk about anything kind of more humane. But it sounds like in, indeed right. the shorter time limit, the transportation, mm-hmm. some of the other things actually are intended to be more make more humane yeah. changes if you're going to have trapping at all, which is another topic for another time, like whether you should or shouldn't. But uh, Right. I don't think we can avoid that altogether, at least in, in what we're talking Not about. Not today. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not, and, and, so, and so one of the things, Kate, you said when you described some of those traps, and you talked about, I think, the uh, wild hogs. Because mm-hmm. coincidentally, yeah. we had an email came in. All the, the entire email said "wild hogs?" question mark. So I guess we should, we we did allude to traps that are for I guess mm-hmm. wild hogs and, um, and the corral trap. Yeah, um, and we know that they're being set. That that's you know that's a hot topic. Um, yeah, uh, wild hogs is always a hot topic. Um, but removing the, the lid of the roof um, is is better for the non you know the non target species that can get out right um, so, so so they do trap the hogs in there but if something else gets in there another animal typically they are able to get out based on the the structure and and design of of the the corral trap mm-hmm okay. yeah yeah they're basically like corral panels type type panels so a bear could climb out a deer could jump out uh, a panther could jump out. Um, but if there's a top on it, they're stuck in there, um, and they can get injured you know, by, yeah. by the pigs and so forth. And it's it just it's set like a one-way door. They can, animals can go in through the chute into this corral trap, but they can't get out. So that holds the pigs, but the other animals need to get out. So that was a good thing. But make sure that we get to the special permits if we're ready to get to that, because that's very important. To yeah, we're going to get to that in one moment. I just want to read another email that came in. It says, when alligators are trapped for nuisances or killing an animal or a person, I believe that email. Yeah. Yeah, the alligators alligators are trapped uh, per uh, SNAP program with FWC. Um, they have specially contracted trappers who deal with nuisance alligators, and I believe that the rule is if it's four feet or under, it may be relocated if they want to, um, and if it's over that, they have to kill them. I believe mm-hmm. that is it, but I do not deal with alligators. I'm not an alligator trapper. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's just, in the interest of making sure that uh, we do this a few times between now and when we um, are, hit the end of our time here, where people who are already listening and just want to weigh in on any aspect, then we'll get into more specifics that they might want to weigh in. But just so we start now, what is what is a contact? Is there a website? Is there yeah. an email designated for this? Is there somewhere else that people should note down, even as we're talking about some of the more of the things sure. that we want to be make sure to discuss today? I mean, I'll, I'll certainly give my information. FWC, myfwc.com is the FWC website, and it's chock full of good information. There will be a, a more specific mm-hmm. email address on this issue, but it's not it's not live yet. Okay. Um, but I am, you know, uh, kmcfall at hsus.org, um, and it's M- AC um, is my email, and I would love to be in touch with your listeners who care about this issue, because going forward, um, as we get a little closer later in the in the fall, uh, this issue we need people to speak up again um, to because we know the industry, uh, the opposition is going to be speaking up, and um, you know the and Floridians do care about these issues, care about protecting wildlife and decreasing the suffering, even if we're not going to get rid of all trapping, which we're not. But right. um, making it better, more humane is is a big goal. And so uh, I'll be doing a webinar later in the fall um, and or the HSUS Florida Facebook page. But um, I would love 
to be in touch with, with your listeners who are interested in this topic. Okay. So it sounds like in the meantime, until the FWC email address for, for taking such comments goes live, people could go to the myfwc.com website and find somewhere to weigh in. Or do they still have to wait till that email does go there's live? There's a generic, there's a generic um, email. Okay, list. but is that yeah. is that effective or ineffective, or is it better just to wait until the? I would wait. Yeah. Would just, okay. Um, either one, but just I'd love to be in touch so that we can let them know when things are, are you know getting a little uh, closer to having a draft um, draft out and when that email gets live and and uh, and so on. Okay, so again, that's Kate McFall, M A C F A. Uh, K McFall. Uh-huh. Oh, K, K McFall, yeah. K the, uh, McFall at hsus.org, right, is the way to reach you and yep. for you to stay in touch with people who might want to, when the time is right, be uh, notified and maybe kind of mobilized to um, weigh in on some of these regulations. Yeah. Mobilized is the right word. I love yeah. it. Okay, yeah. thanks. <laughs> Good word. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's talk about some of the other things that are, that are proposed, pending, whatever, that people may want to know about and may want to, when the time is right, Way into uh, FWC about including like permitting, I think is kind of a pivotal one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there's there's a conception in Florida that um, that leg hold traps, foothold traps, coon cuff traps, uh, the kind of bear body crushing traps um, are not legal to use. And up until now, for the last several decades, if you wanted to use those, you had to get a special permit. You had to ask permission from FWC. And this meant that the state knew exactly where you were setting those traps, what species you were seeking to trap, and how long you, they would be there for a specified time, and you could renew it or whatever. But the state knew what was going on. And what they're proposing now in this modernization is to adapt these traps a little bit um, under the guise that they're going to be a little bit safer for endangered species. Um, snares were never uh, cut out of the traps. They have been allowed all the time. Um, so they're talking about you know using offset jaws on the traps and padded traps and and smaller jaw sizes and um, water sets, you know, for like a conibear trap for a beaver that would drown them um, and snares about putting a cable restraint on it that would not lock all the way. So if you came across that your trap had caught an animal that you weren't targeting, especially if it's an endangered species, the snare wouldn't have killed the animal and you could uh, thereby supposedly release that animal. But it's important to, to realize that when people think of a live trap, they think of only a box trap. But a leg hold or foothold trap is also considered a live trap. So with this in mind, when people are discussing regulations, and again, as we are now discussing proposed revised regulations, mm-hmm. is it always the specific trap that provokes the concern? Or is there any other element that also figures into the calculus here of when a new regulation or a revised regulation concerns people? Well, you know, no matter what kind of trap it is, traps are are on the whole indiscriminate. You cannot tell that trap what animals to catch and what animals not to catch. And one of the things that was very strongly alluded to in the survey that's most disturbing is that they want to do away with those special permits. And by not having a special permit, even if you start permitting your trappers, you will not know. No one will know where they're using them. Any trapper, pest control company could then use 
any of these leg hold traps, these kind of bear traps, the snares, anywhere in your neighborhood or community, as long as it's 100 feet away from a dwelling. And, wow. Uh, so the there's... Hold, yeah. So that suddenly there would be different. really no oversight or... Yeah. So and so what, well, what's... What, if there is any, what's the rationale behind that? That seems to be like inviting just multitudes of problems and sort of a chaotic uh, approach to this now. It is, it is very disturbing. Um, when you wonder, one of the things that drives this is that coyotes are very hard to catch in a box trap. So... One of the most common reasons for getting these special permits today is to be able to use uh, leg hold traps, and snares are very common, too, for coyotes. And there's a lot of communities and neighborhoods that want their, you know, to hire a trapper to be able to do that in their neighborhood. Um, so being more lax on these rules, again, under the pretense of supposedly them being a little bit safer in a and a hundred-tenth of a degree more humane, um, it is not a good idea. I think this is the worst direction that we could possibly go. So Yes, we strongly oppose this. Yeah, I mean, to oversimplify, this sounds kind of like people are saying these coyotes are a huge problem. I don't care exactly how they're trapped. I just want them trapped. Mm -hmm. Ergo, this is what we're going to do or allow allow to be done. Is that, am I reading this correctly? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, what disturbs me is that, you know, if you listen to any biologist, you know, give a workshop about uh, coyotes in your area, one of the things that they're very quick to tell you is that, you know, per the science, you know, killing coyotes can actually backfire. It doesn't really solve your problem. They're, they're there and you're not going to get rid of them all. So if, if you kill, you know, the wrong one and the, and the alpha male or female, that the pack can rebound, respond by, you know, more females breeding, having larger litter sizes, and you can actually increase your coyote population. So it would be nice to see the regulations, you know, follow that science and they're not don't they sort of talk about like how they're using best practices and, and good science well they they actually i was just making a note here that fwc does have a really good they do a great uh you know uh, talking they speak to groups they uh, presented at, at a conference a few months ago alongside um a colleague of mine so we have a good working relationship on the coyote issue okay and they they do they have great messaging and great information that they share with you know communities hoas mm-hmm. or cities counties on this issue um so they they know it but um but this practice you know would be terrible you know terrible the, the whole indiscriminate and um and the killing of coyotes which of course is certainly not something we would support but it's like like Catherine said, that they they know this information and they teach it and and do a fantastic job. Um, so we, we would be very disappointed if this this aspect of it were to uh, be released or um, relaxed. The, yeah, the requirement for the special use permit. Gotcha. Again, this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Schuss. I'm discussing proposed changes to Florida trapping regulations with my guest, Catherine McGill, who runs 411-411 Wildlife Solutions, a human wildlife control company, and Kate McFall, Florida State Director of the Humane Society of the U.S. We invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, or emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. One of our emailers says... Hi, in terms of quote-unquote nuisance animals in Florida, is there an attempt at public education that makes people aware of the fact that snakes, alligators, bear, possum, raccoons were there first and that humans must make adaptations? I mean, yes, FWC, like I said, they do when invited. Um, they've had several communities reach out to FWC and say, you know, come talk to the city council or whomever, or they have a public meeting. Um, but we need help. So if, if that's, you know, if you're in a position to assist, we, when I say we, I'm not speaking with the FWC, but the humane, you know, the humane side of the argument, certainly the HSUS and what I do is getting that word out and there needs to be more of it. So if, um, you know, again, HOAs are, are really, they're big in Florida and yeah. uh, they can, 
be very powerful in, in a good way. Um, so to answer your question, there is some of that, but certainly not enough. And we welcome any um, support and help and, you know, collaboration. Yeah, I think yeah. with the more and more rampant development and yeah. construction or whatever, that more efforts in those ways would probably go a long way just because, as people have touched on already just today and a zillion times before, all those things displace so many critters. And then you got habitat issues and other issues. And then uh, it dovetails yeah. with the trapping issue in an uh, un, uh, often unfortunate way. So. Right. I'm going to add to this that, you know, being a humane wildlife control company and considered a, quote, trapper, and being listed uh, nationally with Animal Help Now, if you go there looking for a humane wildlife control operator, and that's the only listing that we have today where you can find a company like mine, um, they do a fantastic job of vetting companies like mine and listing them, and we need dozens more. But when you know you, you have the public calling you, and you know even if they're humane-minded, I'll be honest with you, one, one response to them that doesn't work is to say, well, too bad, the animals were here first. Um, you, you really can't do that because you're dealing with people who are afraid, um, who are upset, who are mad uh, about damage that might have been caused. So, you know... Damage that might have been caused to their property, their business, their whatever right. it might be, you mean? Yeah, yeah, they're in their attic and, yeah. you know, they're freaking out that they're going to, you know, destroy everything. And it's never as bad as they think it is. So it, it's really just about it. That's where the education comes in. And in that 2008 um, report, when they last did this, staff was really very, very poignant about saying, you know, I wish we had a way to reach the public in that moment when they have a conflict, but we don't. They just, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction to call a trap or go by a trap, and therefore we can't educate them. And I have some ideas on, on what I think should change in this, but that's a topic for another day. But um, these, these people, are it's a knee-jerk reaction, and telling them that the animals were here first does not solve their problem. It doesn't help. It's true, I agree, but it's not the way we approach it. kind of throws the, uh, the specific argument off track, it sounds like, a little bit. Yeah, we can't help them unless we, we respect how they feel. So what is the timetable? Uh, Kay, you, you noted that the, the email for the FWC to offer comments is, is not live yet. Just in broad strokes for people listening who say, well, yeah, I, I want to help out, I want to weigh in, I want to do anything it could help the language be well, better when it's finalized. When would you guess, at least, that the email would be live, for example? It, um, probably in the next month or so, but that's a guess. Okay. Um, this may not come up until late in the year, but what people can do is go to the, myfwc.com and you can get alerts. You can say, I just want alerts about alligators or just press releases or I'm a fisherman and I want to know, you know, you can, you know, be specific or okay. get them all like yeah. I do. And you know what's going on and to get involved. Really, that's I hope that's the biggest takeaway because I know your listeners care about protecting animals and there is so much going on. FWC is doing a lot of really good work. And they need to hear from us to make sure that they, you know, on, on some issues like this one, continue to, you know, make some positive changes. But they're, they have meetings. Like the next meeting is going to be in Miami in um, September, at the very end of September, 28th and 29th. And then there's one at the very end of November, the 30th and then the 1st of December. But they have about five meetings a year in different places. And they have open comment for the public, which is always welcome. They're very respectful. I will say this. FWC does um, listen and respond to the public, to public comments. In, okay. In whatever capacity, always person is always most meaningful. But, you know, the, the importance of being um, respectful and polite, I, I can't overstress that because sometimes people are not, and it's just, it hurts. It, it actually works in the opposite direction. I'm so sure, yeah. Polite, respectful advocacy they do listen. And, and, again, the opposition will be speaking up, I can assure you. Um, and so... 
people who are more humane-minded want reasonable, you know, changes uh, and progress, uh, they do need to hear from you. And so coming to one of the meetings or just getting involved or signing up the alerts or, you know, asking one of us for more information or how, how to do that more specifically following today, um, of course, we're happy to help with that. But I, I hope people will get more involved in wildlife protection because there's, there's a need and it's everywhere in Florida and they, they really need our, they, the wildlife, uh, need our help. No, for sure. And yeah. one of the reasons I really wanted to invite you guys on is this is an issue that whether it should or shouldn't be is, is a bit more esoteric, even for people who care a lot about animals and animal issues. And typically that would be the kind of people that listen to this show. So I just think that as people are hearing things and hearing about certain kinds of traps and uh, what could happen and loosening of standards or tightening them or whatever, that that would spur people to you know get those alerts from the FWC, maybe go to these meetings. Are these meetings specifically designed for like so-called listening sessions where FWC types are hearing how people feel about stuff or outlining what's on the horizon in terms of, for example, the, the, the trapping regulations we're discussing? Or what, what, what is the major yeah. purpose of these meetings? Yeah, I, I'm going to echo what, what Kate said a little bit in that, you know, I talk to people across the country and everybody thinks that their wildlife agency in their state is the worst, the worst, the worst. And when people say that in Florida, I mean, I know they nearly want to punch me in the nose when I say it, but Florida is definitely one of the best. Their meetings are very structured and organized. They're two days long. They're actually aired on the Florida Channel. You can go there to the Florida Channel and look up archives and watch every meeting. And, you know, of course, the majority of the topics are going to be hunting and fishing and so forth, um, legislative issues and everything else. And then there is one day, usually the second day, that has public comment period where you have three minutes to get up. And like she said, highly encourage you to speak politely because we do have an agency that is listening to the public. And while they give weight to the industry, you know, and that can be frustrating, um, they do listen to us. And it's important. Well, that's super encouraging. I mean, that that's the point mm-hmm. probably which we need to leave today's uh, discussion since we're uh, past time, in fact. But, but that's been really helpful. We've been speaking with Catherine McGill and Kate McFall. Thank you guys both very much for this. I think a lot of people probably heard some eye-opening things and hopefully are spurred to check out the FWC uh, website and go to these meetings and be prepared when they're taking more, specifically taking those comments and uh, see if we can get these uh, final versions of these new regulations as humane minded as possible. Thank, thank you, both. you so much. Really appreciate us. it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with Mallory Sear of Safety Harbor Public Library. We're on July 21st. That's tomorrow. They're hosting a program called Gators involving experts from the Florida Aquarium presenting all kinds of information about alligators and a chance, I think, to, to even meet a gator. I'm not sure. Right now, though, we're going to step into the Comedy Corner with Tim Harmson and a short piece called Seagull in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I saw a seagull flying around in the sky. It was going around and around and around. I looked at it and I said, Seagull, you could be anywhere in the world right now. Why are you in the parking lot at J.C. Penney's? And then I thought, why am I in the parking lot at J.C. Penney's? And then I remembered Arnold Palmer casual wear. 50% off. You look like a jerk if you don't go. That was Tim Harmston. 
In today's Comedy Corner, the piece called Siegel, taken from his album, The Most Bees Ever. Now it's time to speak Mallory's here of Safety Harbor Public Library about the program called Gators that the library is presenting tomorrow. This is Mallory Sear on Talking Animals on WNO. Good morning, Mallory. Hello. Sorry. You, sound, you sounded very faint. I thought we might not have a good connection, but I think you're just speaking maybe softly. So thanks for joining us today on Talking Animals. I appreciate it. You're welcome. So tell me about this program, Gators, the library is presenting tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow, July 21st at 6.30 p.m., and we have the Florida Aquarium will be coming um, to present gators, and they will be discussing how we can coexist with um, alligators. Um, they'll be bringing an alligator with them, as an example, I suppose, and um, they'll talk about how, you know, how to be safe around them and give them their space and whatnot. Yeah, well, that's really good because we just had a big conversation about uh, wildlife and about so-called nuisance uh, wildlife and how gators, if there's a problem, often get trapped. And if they're small enough, if there's not a big issue, they get relocated. But if if not, things far less pleasant can happen. So I think the more people know about gators and and how to kind of uh, peacefully coexist with them, the better for uh, for both gator and human that that would be. Yeah, I I, I wouldn't classify them as a nuisance so much but well that's a tech that's a technical definition that the fwc uses and stuff that, yeah. that's when there's no yeah saying. but yeah. i mean as long as you're you give them their space and then everybody can get along right no that's yeah. for, that's for sure and that's so, what they'll be talking about tomorrow no, I think that's really, really so important to highlight because so many people, I think, don't know those kinds of things and then are alarmist the minute they, they think they see a gator or if they do see a gator, it's very bad for, for that gator tip because people kind of panic and don't know there's some other measures they could take that would be a, much better for them and for the gator. Right, right. Yeah. So can anyone attend this uh, program, uh, Mallory, or how yeah. does that work? No, anybody can attend. It's a, it's for all ages, um, children and adults. Anybody can come. You don't need to have a library card. Um you can just show up. Um, it'll be in our big meeting room. We'll have space up front for kids, and we'll have chairs in the back for the adults. And um, I think there'll be a like a question and answer session after the presentation. So oh, that's great. Yeah, specific questions that weren't covered, you can you can bring them. Nice. Yeah. So, what prompts the library to offer this kind of programming? I mean, it's not. I mean, it sounds great, but it's not particularly liter- literature oriented. But is is the larger objective just to bring folks into the library? Maybe even especially those who don't necessarily otherwise come too well, often. Or? Yes, that's that's a major major point for that. But it's yeah. also it's it's educational. So libraries aren't just about reading; they're about education and yeah, um, entertainment as well. And this kind of covers both. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. And what's what, what's another program or two that's on the horizon that uh, you guys have planned? Oh, well, right now we're in the midst of summer reading, so there's all sorts of things going on. We had an octopus story time earlier today, and um, we'll have... Do I have to know what's involved with octopus story octopus. time. Does every every arm have a book in its hand, or every how does arm it... has a book, yes. Okay. Um, and that was for little kids earlier today, and they had a octopus-themed craft after the story time and whatnot. And That's great. We have, um, for adults, we have a craft coming up next week. Um, we have a uh, book club. We had a book club yesterday. We have a book club once a month. So we have all sorts of things going on. We ha- try to have a music program once a month um, as well. Great. Lots going on over there. Lots going on. Yes, yeah, a variety for all interests. 
That's awesome. What our goal is. So. All right, Mallory. Well, thanks for taking a few minutes to uh, fill us in uh, about that generally and about the Gators program. Again, that's tomorrow, July 21st. It's from 6.30 to 7.30 yep. with, with a, uh, at least one Gator actually on hand. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. And really uh, sounds like some great programming going on over there. Yes. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with another three hours of music, and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show, at the moment, as the prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something absolutely fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's named an animal tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. about reached the end of this edition of Talking Animals on WMNF. I think we have a couple guests. We're going to even we're going to sort of gild the lily here and maybe take a guest on air. Hi, you're live on the air on WMNF. Can you name that animal tune? Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf. You are correct. You are our winner. Stay on hold. I'll come out and get your information and send you off a cool gift. Thanks for playing. What's your name? Kevin. Kevin, all right, Kevin. You are our winner. Thank you. I'll be back in touch. Hold on. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, so Kevin knew that was Hungry Like the Wolf, and we are at the end of today's edition of Talking Animals. Next Wednesday, my guest will be Don Argot, one of the directors of The Bond, a four-part wildlife series streaming on Discovery Plus, telling the stories of uh, intriguing individuals who formed unlikely but deep bonds with members of the animal kingdom. I invite you to tune in next Wednesday for that conversation. I also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there, too as well as on other podcast platforms. There are also links to our social media pages and more. So, you can also subscribe, by the way, to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki, Watchy, and Beyond. Scott Elliott is up next after five minutes of NPR News headlines. Thanks so much. We'll see you next Wednesday.